Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we explore the power of vision and what it means to see our dreams come true. We all are embedded with a picture of how things are supposed to be, a desire for broken things to be renewed, and a hope for a better tomorrow. This is our dream, the deepest desire of our hearts. There are four types of dreams people pursue, possessions, pleasures, praise, and position. Each can be twisted for evil or used for good. So what is the best way to achieve these dreams? Welcome back again to our life as an epic tale. We have been talking about Snow White as our image of what our life is like. As one analogy, we talked about Snow White being royalty who has been displaced. She has been exiled from her appropriate position by a usurper. A usurper that has a poisonous apple and uses it to bring death into the world. And, of course, she's exiled into a forest where there's dwarves living there. And she finds out her lot in life is to cheerfully serve these dwarves, which, of course, is an analogy for humanity. Humanity was originally given the charge to rule and reign the earth in perfect harmony with God and with one another and with nature. And because of death entering the world, all that's been obliterated. Our natural design, our natural position... It's all been stripped away. So here we are living in a scary forest with all kinds of dangers and all these dwarfed humanity. We're not what we're supposed to be. And of course, the ultimate answer is a handsome prince who will come and rescue us, resurrect. Well, these wonderful stories have a a lure to us because they do tap into our deepest desires And, of course, this is what we want, ultimately. And we've looked at this epic tale as a journey and a quest. Because every one of these stories, there's something, some path that the the hero or the heroine has to take. And we've looked at the deep valleys in our journey. We've looked at the, the plains of everyday activities that tend to get monotonous and yet we understand that washing the dwarfs' clothes and, and cheerfully serving them is an integral part of what God's called us to. Then we looked at the mountaintops and the, the difficulty of maintaining our perspective and realizing the reason we got to the top of Mount Transfiguration was because we followed Jesus up there. We didn't know that was going to be a mountaintop experience. But he has us have that experience so we can follow him back down because it's everyday life where the real impact is made. We've also looked at the beginning point of our journey, the beginning point of our journey of our two-minute adventure ride, Snow White's Scary Adventures. We put on our seatbelt, and the seatbelt of our life is God's unconditional, unrelenting, irrevocable love and grace. The reality that we as children can never do anything that would cause us to be rejected as his child. What a wonderful reality we can bask in because that belonging is something that's just given to us. We can't deserve it. We can't lose it. A fantastic beginning point. And then we looked at the end of the journey, 
which is the new earth. We'll go through heaven along the way, but as we looked at it, heaven is just a place where a bunch of stuff happens like judgments and things like that, sorting. And the ultimate fulfillment of this human experience is when heaven comes to earth and Jesus dwells with his people. And that is what we really, really look forward to. And then once again, the earth will be restored to what it was originally intended. And the people of God, the overcomers, will rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. And so there is a happily ever after ending to this scary adventure. But one of the things that's a reality about this adventure is that there's trouble along the way and there's true risk. There's no risk that God would ever not want our best interest. There's no risk that God would ever expunge us from the family and exile us from being his child. We as human parents, frail and weak as we are, would never do that to our children. And and if a parent does that, we consider them to be cruel, harsh, and inappropriate as parents. Well, certainly the perfect parent, God, would never do that. But on the other hand, we as parents would never approve of something that was self-destructive to our child. At least not if we're being a good parent. We're not going to encourage or reward something that's not in the best interest of our child. So today, what we're going to look at is another aspect of this Disney analogy, which is our dreams coming true. What we all have is embedded in us this design of how it's supposed to be and this desire for everything to be renewed. And we have this dream. We don't articulate it very well, but we respond to stories that do. And I'm going to begin with a quote from one of the modern philosophers has has best uh, articulated this idea. And of course, you'll recognize this theologian immediately. He is the conscience for an entire generation. And of course, I'm speaking of Jiminy Cricket. (laughs) And here's what Jiminy says. When you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star like dreamers do, fate is kind. She brings to those who love the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing. Like a bolt out of the blue, fate steps in and pulls you through. When you wish upon a star... And I know what's all going on through all your head. Your dreams come true. Well, you know what? So fate, star, all this. Well, just think about what this is saying. And of course, anything can be used inappropriately as we are going to discuss today. And especially these deep desires and dreams we have. But let's paraphrase what's being said here. Somewhere out there is somebody who controls destiny and wants me to have my deepest dreams come true if my heart's really in it. Well, there's, there's a reason why this appeals to us. Because that's really the way we are. Let's look at dreams. And what are 
the great dreams that we tend to see people pursue. I think they go into four different categories, and all these categories are interrelated, and all of them can be twisted, and usually are in this world, where humanity is dwarfed and the forest is scary. They are possessions, pleasures, praise, and position. Possessions, pleasures, praise, and position. Think about possessions. People pursue expensive cars, expensive toys, huge houses or gaudy possessions, diamonds or gadgets. And this is something that we tend to see people spend a lot of their time and attention and dreams on. Uh, Then there's pleasure. People spend immense amount of time pursuing entertainment, perhaps some sort of ecstasy, perhaps belonging to something and the feeling of acceptance. People pursue praise, fame perhaps, some kind of recognition or accomplishment. And of course, these things can be interrelated. People build the house that's gigantic that everybody can see so that they get attention and they get praise. And the last one, position, power, authority, prestige often goes with position. I was told by a person who was pretty highly placed in a certain very powerful government we're all familiar with that his that his um, observation was that a large percentage of politicians were extremely needy people who needed affirmation, and that's why they were willing to pay the price of all this endless campaigning is because they got positive feedback that they were so desperate for. But again, we see people willing to do extreme things for these dreams. And of course, we see the twisted nature of these dreams come through, the the dwarfed humanity and the scary forest aspect. Think about hoarders. They really, really care about their possessions. And at the end of the day, it's very sad because who owns who? Who possesses who? Yeah, the, the newspapers or the junk possesses the person, right? And, and we think about pleasures. Someone who pursues ecstasy or someone who pursues some sort of experience often ends up in addiction or fame. Uh, I occasionally will check out at a grocery store or something, and of course they have this this wall of shame of all these periodicals. And this person set their hair on fire, and this person cut their leg off, and this, this person is, you know, it's just like, what do I have to do to get in front of the camera? Whatever kind of self-destructive thing I'll do, I'll do anything. Desperate for attention. Fame. They can have it. And then, of course, position. And I've already discussed some, what some people will do to keep their position. And, of course, I've watched this happen firsthand where very well-meaning people go in and then they start telling themselves, well, I need to compromise here because I need to keep this position and only I can do the right thing. And if I get this position, then, then if I get more power, I can, I can do more good. And, of course, the minute somebody says, I will do wrong now to defer 
uh, that to, so I can do more good later, the more good never comes. Uh, what they do is become expert at justifying that they need to have the power and position. So we see how all these things can be twisted. But God actually put these desires into us for a reason. This is our design to want all these things. And what God wants us to do is not try to figure out how to suppress these dreams. He does not want us to go and look at the world's false substitutes and conclude that therefore we should not pursue. What God wants us to do is point these desires to the place where He has provided the dreams to come true. And in doing so, what we discover is the true joy and the true fulfillment in life and rejection from the world. So let's just look at these dreams and let's look at how God has provided for these dreams. And the first thing I want to talk about is a couple of objections to the notion that God wants us to have eternal possessions, eternal pleasures, eternal praise, and an eternal position. Our position as His children is eternally secure. These other things are conditional. The reward of life is conditional on the choices we make. If we want great relationships with other people, we have to follow the commands of God. If we want to be an island unto ourselves, we can obey, disobey the commands of God. There's consequences to our actions. Two objections about this notion that when we get to heaven, everybody's not going to be the same. And to a large extent, the modern era counterfeit to Christianity, which is Marxism for the most part in the Western world, in the third world there's other things, has preached this notion that the ultimate good is equality. And it's whether we're all equally poor and miserable or whatever, just equality has to be equal. Jonathan Edwards, no less, says... Those who are not so high in relation to others will not envy those who are higher in the new earth. And there's, the, there's this notion that in the new earth, envy will no longer be present. Tears will be wiped away and there's no more pain. And there'll be no more envy. So, so the idea that uh, people are going to be ticked because everybody's not the same is, is just not biblical. One of the reasons why people object to this notion of inequality in the new earth, which is part of the reality, Jesus said what? The last will be first and the first will be last. So it's clearly a distinction that's being made. And of course, he's turning this on his head, on its head. What we tend to esteem, he does not esteem. And what we tend to loathe, he esteems. So this is, I think, really the guts of why we don't like this notion that everything's not going to be the same. It's really because God's the one that's going to do the ranking. And we don't like that. That's what we really don't like. We don't like the notion that God's going to decide. And God says things like, I'm going to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Who wants that? And God says things like, I'm going to measure you according to the measure you measure to others. That's even less desirable. We're going to be treated like we treat others? Who wants that? Jesus is going to judge according to the way he decides to judge. And he says things like, to whom much is given, much is expected. 
So it seems like he grades on a curve somehow. Of course, what we always want to know are what are the rules and how can we, how can we find loopholes? How does the system work so we can get something for nothing? Uh, and that's not the way it's going to work. God is God. God will judge. And He, by definition, will be fair and equal. What we really don't like is the real definition of fairness and equality. Have you noticed when you teach your children about fairness, how they use it? They never use it to say, oh, wait a minute, hang on, I need to give this to my sister because I want to be fair and share. You ever heard that, ever, in your life? But you hear immediately, she won't share. Give me that. You have, your, your banana is a half inch longer than mine. Give me, we don't have the same, it's, it's always me, me, me. So, God is judge. And God, you know, the kid, the people with kids are laughing down here. So God is the judge, and we don't like other people being the judge. We want to be the judge. So that's that's really what's going on. And the other objection to this notion that it's not all the same, that there's going to be distinctions and there's something to be lost, is the idea that you know it's selfish to really pursue something for the reward of it. We we shouldn't ask God to give us anything. We should just do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, this one really drives me crazy. I, I happen to be in a position where I'm in the leadership of multiple organizations. And do you know how rare it is for someone to come up and say, I think I'm paid too much. I just like to give back to the organization because, you know, I don't, I don't really want any reward. All I need is, you know, basic food and sustenance. This extra is just a burden to me. I just want to do this because it's the right thing to do. How many times do you think I've ever had that conversation with somebody? It has happened. It has happened. It's rare. It does happen. It is exceedingly rare. And I think what we're really saying here when we say we shouldn't do anything for God like we do every day for each other here, is because what we're really saying is, well, I don't care what God thinks. Who cares what God thinks? All I care is what I think. Again, this is the way two- and three-year-olds operate. They think that parents are obligated to go along with them. So we have these objections, but the objections at the end of the day don't hold any real weight. I like this quote by G.H. Lang, who's a guy who died about three years after I was born, an English theologian. And he writes this, In this principle, therefore, a noble scope for holy ambition is thrown open. That faculty of the soul which pants for glory is implanted of God. In the natural man it is, like every other power of the soul, misdirected and leads him away from God and from true glory at the same time. But God has spread a wide field of ambition before the eye of the believer and not only permits him, but exhorts him to pursue it. He has set before our eyes five crowns as rewards of different kinds of service, and each may, by divine grace, win not only one, but several. I like this. I like this notion that God's real desire for us is we stop aiming so low. Stop dreaming for things that are false substitutes for what? will actually and truly fulfill our souls. So let's look at some of these things. 
And uh, let's look at the reality that these are things that have to be retained. Now, interestingly, this is actually not something we have to earn in order to possess. It's kind of fascinating the way the scripture talks about this. Usually we think about building a business and you kind of have to earn your way up or something like that. Actually, the way the scripture talks about this is this is a possession that's actually just given to us, but we can squander it. We can lose it. Look at 2 John 8 real quick. 2 John chapter 8. 2 John is not a book that we turn to all that often. It only has one little chapter. But it says something quite amazing here. If we start in, um, well, let's just, uh, this whole thing is just takes two minutes to read. Let's just read the whole thing. The, el- to the elder, John, to the elect lady and her children, we're probably talking about the church here, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So we're talking all believers here. Grace, peace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Hey, this is wonderful, man. Some of the people in this church are walking in the truth. I'm so happy. And now I plead with you, lady, church, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. Okay, we got some people walking in the truth. Let's spread it. Everybody walk in the truth. This is the commandment that as if you've heard it from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So you've got people walking in the truth. He's exhorting the other believers to walk in the truth. But there's these deceivers, these antichrists. What is the negative effect an antichrist can have on a group of people who are walking in the truth? Verse 8, look to yourselves that you do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. See, this inheritance is something that we can squander. And by walking in the truth, we possess our possessions. You see this image in the Old Testament all the time. God says to Abraham, this is your land. You'll get all these blessings, but you've got to stay in it. And every time they leave, something bad happens. This is your land, but you have to go in and possess it. We can't do that. There's giants and there's all these problems. Well, then stay out here in the desert and die. And, And this is our life. We have this possession, but if we don't walk in the truth, it's something that can be lost. Well, what are these possessions? Again, it's this is not our position as children. That can't be lost. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. But possessions can be squandered. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.